0: This episode contains references to sexual violence and abuse. Please listen with caution.
1: Hello, and welcome to Eirid Podcast. Eirid
0: is a raw, unscripted podcast offering conversations between an artist and a philosopher. In this podcast, you can expect us to uproot, unpick and redefine contemporary modes of thinking within the South African context. In each episode, we will do so by making eclectic use of various cultural text and theoretical disciplines. I'm Nicolene Berger, And I'm Jana Fosle. And this is ERET. Eret. Yana, how are you? Hi
1: Nicolene, I'm doing well, wrapped here in a a blanket, uh, sitting in Stellenbosch and looking at a tree with lots of bees in it, so that's
0: pretty good. (laughs) That sounds lovely, I'm also sitting actually wrapped in a blanket, it's quite cold in observatory and the whole morning while I was researching, I was sitting on the stoop and looking at the clouds, like a very silvery day, um, one that's nice to have conversations. So I'm very excited for this conversation today. Do you want to introduce our question for the day? Yes,
1: I'm very excited. We'll be having a very nice and cozy chat today. So the question that have been preoccupying us for the last few weeks is as follows. In a third world country, in the middle of a pandemic, what is the significance of art and philosophy? And um, we will unpack the question a bit later, but I think it's, we are thinking of it specifically now, but also more generally, the significance of art and philosophy in a time of crisis.
0: Yes, and in our first segment, we are just going to air our first initial ideas around this question and themes that popped up for us, kind of aiming the focus for the visual analysis, which we're going to be doing in the second segment of the podcast today. So yeah, now we're just going to go into airing our ideas around the the relevance of art and philosophy as an artist and a philosopher in this time, continuing to do our work. We are obviously confronted um, by being isolated and alone and also by the mode of thinking that crisis can um, inspire what is the importance of art and philosophy
1: yes and i think it can even be framed is is there an importance and i think that definitely yeah. is as we will show but for me the first thing that came to mind was that there is a very interesting existing history of how art and philosophy functioned during times of crisis in the past so in these what could be called junctures between eras or times um, historically we see how art and philosophy shifted so not only did art and philosophy help to shift the times but also these junctures were instrumental towards shifting the disciplines of art and philosophy themselves as well Um, and i think that's maybe you can elaborate
0: like Even in the context of world wars? Yeah, so it's very exciting for me to then, when I read about this question about when, even is is art irrelevant and when did it become irrelevant or how has it changed? um, I noticed that The First and the Second World War had a very big influence on how art was understood by the public. And this can be illustrated by looking at the relationship between the patron and the artisan. So the patron before the World Wars actually dictated a lot of what artists created. So if a patron wanted the artist to look at their family history or depict something idealistic like the relationship to God or myths or anything like that, that is what the artist depicted and the artist's work was then bought by the patrons so there's a very straightforward relationship and then the world wars came in and shifted this because the power was shifted in the entire world so a lot of people lost power and money was shifted around so now the artist for the first time actually started looking at what was real for for him or herself and this is interesting because the body of of the human was always kind of at the center of art in general and the, looking at how it related to god and how the body functioned and really like humans were at the center of art and this persisted past world war 1 and world war 2 but now that kind of a tragic dignity that christianity introduced with death and suffering completely fell away because the artist moved closer to what was real and the tragic and, and very horrific things that happened to people during the world wars and the way the war actually had an influence on the body and the deformity and the hurt and the pain of the body really then started coming through in, in modern art and after the world wars. So, now, people actually didn't really want to see those things. It wasn't as nicely depicted before the war. It became more real.
1: I think that's so interesting. And even art and philosophy, how they develop kind of in parallel ways historically. I mean, because you can say the exact same thing for philosophy or the discipline of philosophy, especially in the Western context, where mm. it, the, the, the theory moved away from trying to depict the kind of truth or essence of of humankind it was at by that time specifically men but um there was a, a big shift from this kind of god-like metaphysical theorization to this kind of post second world war when existentialist philosophy became so prominent and people were thinking but the the, the point of departure was not we get, get everything from god and this is the meaning of life it was life is meaningless and so we definitely see how that also didn't just become this kind of la-di-da, amazing truth, getting through process, through philosophy, but rather a quite gruesome type of grip that the, the
0: current reality had on on people of the time. And it's very interesting for me in, in in this now, is actually how strange it is that when art became more real and it became more accurately, like it depicted more accurately, the horrors of man, the general um, public rejected it more. So the more art became like a mirror, the more people didn't really want to see it. How interesting is that? And this also shows just the importance of art and philosophy as being that mirror and sometimes confronting, especially modern and contemporary art and conceptual art, like confronting us with that mirror of what is real, and who is viewing, what are we viewing, and what does it say about the world around us? So that's just a very interesting, when we think about the relevance of art. Definitely,
1: and it it it's interesting how, especially what you said with how the public became less interested. And, and, and yeah. it brings about the question of why are we so, why is it so difficult for us to deal with these very real questions? Why is, you know, if you publish on, death and the horrors of death, that's not necessarily the best-seller, um, <laughs> yes. um, even though there is maybe a strange preoccupation with it in other contexts. But um, I think that another type of overarching theme that came out of this question of the importance of art and philosophy in times of crisis is the theme of proximity that, that you and I have also discussed before, um, and maybe I can unpack it a little bit for us. When you see in times of crisis, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty and a lot of harm and horror, sometimes gruesome. And for a lot of people, or maybe even specifically for us, we can say that sometimes we are confronted only with seeing this type of suffering at a distance. And you see that especially after like the Vietnam War or something like that, where only when the images shown of the Vietnamese people getting killed, a, se- a sense of sympathy was developed. So when suffering at a distance mm. is kind of then transported through the news or through the media or conversations, they then all of a sudden um, confront us or appear closer to us. Mm. Um, but it can also be inverted, obviously, and you can think about it differently where for a lot of people, this the suffering that is so far is actually very close and in this sense many feelings that are too close to us overwhelms us to the extent that Mm -hmm. we have to see it at a a distance and i mean there's a lot of sub questions and things you can uh, unpack especially if you look at it trans globally and politically in different contexts but how we are now with the media we are confronted with the closeness and the farness in times of crisis and how it address and confronts us. Yes. And even as we are recording, Nicoline and I are very literally trying to navigate proximity in a way via Zoom, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so the question then becomes, how do we navigate this problem of proximity in times of crisis? And specifically in this episode, we want to consider how art and philosophy can become helpful tools to navigate the proximity of a crisis by making it more flexible, by more malleable, more playful to an extent, bringing close what is far, bringing taking away what is too close.
0: And I think what is interesting how this concept can also be maybe looked at in a different way is considering that art gives us the opportunity to suspend certain ideas of concepts and experiences. So because art works with symbolism and with metaphors, the realness of what we are working with can be pushed back and can be brought closer. So for example, Penny that she's working with red ink, which represents blood, but it's not blood. So the red ink and in the art making process, Offers an opportunity for Penisiopis to work through trauma and work through pain and work through the idea of the blood and body and spilling blood. But she's not spilling actual blood, she's spilling ink. And that distance really helps us to throw things up in the air and kind of spin it around and look at it in a different angle and bring it a little bit closer. And, oh my goodness, now it's too overwhelming. Now we're pushing it back again. And this is very important because if you take into account that humans tend to oversimplify complex concepts like race and gender and sexuality and we forget that the experiences with which we're living these kind of concepts are very subjective. So that can lead to categorizing or forming boundaries around these very complex experiences which can then make it difficult for people to express and live with the complexity of Ideas around like sexuality and gender, as I mentioned, and gender is a good one to mention because through the freedom of expression that we have with art, when artists became the center of what is decided to be depicted, artists could actually show like their experiences are way more complicated and complex than the way that we tend to talk about um gender and race and those kind of things, so yeah I, I think. Art is a documentation and the freedom with which you can make art actually shows us the different levels of complexity and subjectivity and the way that those kind of complex things can be experienced. Yes, that's such a good example, especially
1: with gender. And I think what it it exposes in the practice of art, like you talk about the freedom of, of, of making art, is also the ability to jump between different modes of understanding. Um, so, and that yeah. of art also transports us. So, we can and philosophy does the same, where you can jump between abstract and metaphorical or symbolic or, as you said, subjective thought to to try and navigate very very real happenings or happenings or phenomena. Um, and we see the same with literature, where. Yeah, by telling stories, we are telling a type of story or bringing in narrative um, in a way that people can then see both the particular and the universal in very different ways.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And so now that we've aired a little bit of our ideas around the relevance of art and maybe speculating a bit about how art became relevant and how we can think about making it more relevant by looking at how it can actually help us in a time of crisis. We hoped in the next segment, where we're going to unpack an artwork for you to demystify art and philosophy a little bit. Because as an artist, I get confronted a lot by the insecurity of how to speak about art or how to access art or like, because conceptual art can be very hard to understand sometimes. And it's not always literal. There's so many different modes of working when you're making art, so many different forms of making art that a lot of people feel like they need a degree to speak about it. But essentially, and very, very like easily, art is just about speaking about what the artwork makes you feel. So if you're looking at it, what comes up for you? What do you notice? What do you feel? And we're going to do a visual analysis for you so you'll also get an idea of how to just speak about what you are seeing. And we hope you enjoyed this part of this, the unpacking.
1: <laughs> and part of this unpacking, I mean, I I think we mentioned in the previous episode, we did visual studies together in yes. undergrads. And that's kind of where, I mean, I'm I'm not an artist and um, practically I'm not very, well, Nicole will also challenge the idea of who, who gets to make art. But what I did pick up was this type of speculative methodology where you just kind of wing what you say and that that process becomes part of the game and you just learn over time to do it maybe a bit more nuanced yeah i'm very grateful to be able to to take part in this type of speculative visual analysis again so without further ado let's get into the next segment where we discuss and unpack our cultural texts for this episode with the ideas that we just aired out in mind
0: So, if you are someone with uh, some cultural capital, you might know who Penny Siopas is because she is a very well-known South African artist. But in researching for this episode, we rediscovered her work and found that the materiality of her work was very seductive. And then, when we re- read even further, we found that her ideas around trauma and memory and abjection and the body um, and was really inspiring. And actually, finding that thinking through her work can help shed some light on our current reality in this time of crisis.
1: Yes so I'm just going to do a little bit of a bio to introduce her to you. Penny Siobas currently lives in Cape Town and she has a a very long list of accolades and things that she's done overseas so we will put some links down below if you want to go read up a bit more about Penny but her practice can be located within the the post-colonial context, where the artist continues to reflect on the complex intersections of the collective and individual history and the construction of memory. So she was specifically a prominent artist during the post-apartheid art movement, in of re- ca- categorized as resistance art, so her early interest in the feminist aesthetics has shaped her later explorations of violence, shame, sexuality and more recently also grief. Her conscious use of materiality as a signifier, both throughout her media and in the embodied awareness of her own process, characterizes all Siobas's work, whether in painting, found, object installations,
0: or film. So concerned with what she calls the poetics of uh, vulnerability throughout her career, Siobas' recent works, a pioneered like series in glue and ink medium where she actually dances with these massive canvases and moves them around so that her body becomes involved and she moves them around capturing the movement of the ink in the glue so the cultural text we're going to be looking at today is called the shame series by Penisiopus and it was created in 2002 until 2005 more or less and it's a large scale installation of very small work. So the works are more or less the size of postcards. And when you stand away from the work, when you actually walk into the space where it's exhibited, all of them together, it's very interesting to look at from afar because you only see these splatters of pink and red and drips. And it's a very seductive piece to look at from afar. But then when you come closer, you start noting that these glossy red paletted paintings are actually very horrific. They talk about trauma. They talk about the body of a young girl and the vulnerability of a young girl and deals with the perceived shame of rape victims. So something very interesting that Penny does in this work is she works with the text in combination with the image. She's actually used mass-produced stamps with words like, I'm sorry, and other sentiments that are supposed to make you feel better by being pretty and light. And and she's actually used them to like stamp over the bodies and the shapes that she's made um, out of these blood splatters and and driplets of of ink and paint. And the words are sometimes layered and become almost like the, the tool that is used to abuse these bodies with. So they become wounds and they become marks and and bruises on the bodies. And the way that Kenny works with these is actually by creating the drips and the splatters first and then going back into them and and taking out in each little scenario a body and redefining where you can see a kind of more realistic imagery and then she uses the words to to link to what is going on in that specific instance of sexual assault and what's interesting is in south africa obviously the the um, statistics of sexual assault and abuse is very high but in our society in, it's not really spoken about as much as this we should because of this perceived shame around the victim um, of the assaulted. So yeah, it, it's almost like when you're looking at this series, you are looking at the losing of one's dignity within the full view of others and specifically the vulnerability of a girl's body and that kind of prepubescent understanding of the body and, and then hiding the shame and the abuse that comes out of, of that time in South Africa.
1: And I mean, if okay. I'm, I'm staring at the the images now, and it it really is overwhelming how aesthetically pleasing these images are. When you this collection of images and the colors, I mean, these Definitely. kind of maroon, pinky, browny colors, almost similar to our <laughs> erit logo, but. It's it's yes. you look at this and it's so aesthetically pleasing and it, it talks about the stream of proximity of from far it's this this beautiful aesthetic body of work and up close you are confronted with this horror.
0: And what's interesting about this is that when you're far away, the, the colors are seductive, but when you come closer, you realize that, that they're supposed to speak about bodily mess. They're supposed to speak about the, the, the insides, you know, the blood and the horrors and the horrific things. So it's very the experience of looking at these images because of the way that she's built up the mediums and because of the glossy effect of some of the, the enamel paints that she's used, and she also uses mirror paint, which is also like a kind of glossy effect that you can get because of that effect there's a very bodily and visceral experience when looking at these works
1: this this work when i saw it i was immediately reminded of a concept it's, it's it's characterized as an art movement called abstract art um that developed in the 1990s and definitely the the philosopher that i actually did my honours essay on um called Julia Kristeva she she wrote a book called Powers of Horror, Essays on Objection. And that was um, published in 1980. And it speaks exactly to this, this concept of the abject speaks to this reaction that we have when we are confronted with horror and something gruesome, especially in in a bodily way, in this kind of carnal fleshy yes. type of horror. And I think it's interesting how we can bring penny and abjection and the, the theme of proximity and COVID-19 all together in very interesting and interrelated ways. But maybe I will just quickly talk a bit about how I see the abject or how we can understand the abject as a powerful way of once again using abstract or, um, complex thought to, to understand these type of phenomena of dealing with horror. So the, the abject actually talks about this idea about the lines between what is the self and what is the other. We are not, this is not going to be a whole theoretical lesson because it can get quite tricky, but just basic examples of the abjects or abjection include something like childbirth, or menstruation, or purging, or vomiting. So it's something that you are familiar with on the inside. And then all of a sudden, when it comes outside, you're almost grossed out with it because it's this part of the inside that stares at you from outside. And I think a good example is like people being so grossed out by nail knippings or things like that. So it's part of our body. And then we see it, um, it confronts us from the outside. And that disturbs the idea of the self as this type of stable, bordered subject that this is me and my little box and everything about me is inside of me and that's where it's at its place. But now you are confronted with the fact that the South is actually very unsteady and our boundaries and borders and restrictions are maybe not as tightly woven as we thought they were. So Kristeva goes at length to expose this and I won't go into much more detail. But yeah, something about the abject also reminded me of the time we are in now um, that we also find in Penny's work.
0: Yes, and something that's really interesting to me that I just want to highlight is um, the strangeness of when you look at at art that brings in the abject, like in Penny's work, where you're looking at the, the, the splatters of paint and how it runs, and then you realize that they're supposed to speak about the body and about blood and then brings back in abuse is that we don't like to think of that border that you mentioned of our clean, perfect body becoming, more closer to to other things, so that that what is outside of me and what is inside of me is blurring, so that when I'm talking and my spit is flying all over the screen, I don't want to think of my spit as being part of this I, of this subject, of this me, so that the spit can say something about Nicolene. So that's a very weird and interesting thing, and I think it's a very important border that we need to consider in this time of coronavirus. Yes. And I mean, I'm just thinking
1: of a great example could be the, the masks that we are wearing currently. Yes, definitely. So for me, it's interesting actually that the mask can be seen as almost this defining moment that made coronavirus or COVID-19 real in South Africa. Like as soon as well, that's everyone started wearing masks, it kind of defined the fact that something else is going on now something real is going on why are we wearing masks why are we protecting the self and i mean medically it's interesting because it's it's more that you are not protected from the virus you are just stopping a part of yourself being spread the droplets being spread on others so it's it's literally this kind of containment of the self where now all of a sudden your spit and your droplets and everything is is close close by um contained but then at the same time, this masks, there's an uncomfortability with it. People are saying, I'm hearing conversations of, oh, it's so difficult. I struggle so much. I don't, I don't like it. Um, and it kind of maybe it destabilizes our boundary of the self a, a little bit. Maybe it reminds us that there, the boundary isn't as solid as we thought because all of a sudden my droplets can go away and spread and there's a virus that comes in. So maybe we are trying to protect a border that's actually so unstable in the first place.
0: That's so true. And Yana, this is just a very interesting note that I want to put in here about the time I lived for a year in Korea in 2018. And there, it's very common to see people wearing masks because they had a, a respiratory diseases there before that was quite um, big in in their country. So there's an awareness around wearing masks when you are sick that is not, um, that before COVID-19 wasn't really prevalent in South Africa. And that's also interesting that something changed visually when you go out in the public that wasn't there before. So that, that also has an impact on, on us as a society where in other places in the world, it's more common to see masks or people are maybe more prepared. But you're really you're it's really true and very interesting that in South Africa the masks and when um the government said that now it's everyone has to has to has to wear a mask, it kind of shifted and now it was real. Now there's a virus and you can see it. It's represented visually. You're confronted with it visually where it actually normally is something that we can't see. It's it's in the air between us. So that's very interesting. And and the the masking Sorry,
1: just one more note on that that I'm thinking of now as we're speaking is also the impulse that we have to make these masks pretty all of a sudden. Yeah. Because where the mask is actually a reminder of a reality at the moment that is quite gruesome. People are getting infected, people are dying, it's it's affecting people economically. But we have an impulse to put patterns of flowers and little cute doggies and whatever we can think of. So once again it it speaks to pennies art also where it it looks, it's trying to put the the prettiness or whatever as a disguise of, of the horror that's actually going on.
0: Yeah, well, she's using that in terms of scale as well, right? Where we said when you're walking into the room, the scale of the work is very, it's very big and it's very seductive to look at. And with this effect of creating small works that first you see is very seductive from afar, she's masking the horror also. So there's also that idea of masking coming in there. and mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I think what's interesting, um, what, what you said about making things pretty, kind of brings into an interesting thing of art and how art actually pushes the parameters and challenges the norms. So it questions what is accessible and, 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 it, and it, art also brings out the controversial. So when you look at Penny's series, it's actually quite hard, like we keep talking about the horror and the trauma, it's hard to look at it and stay with it, with the realness of it. And those that kind of realness and, and how hard it is to look at art can also be the thing that actually motivates people into action. And this is for me, when we're thinking again about the initial question, what is the importance of art? What is the relevance of art in this time? Is this ability to actually move people into action? And an artwork that really illustrates this for me is um, the spear where Jacob Zuma was painted by Brad Murray and his genitals were exposed and then the, the act of painting the exposed penis of the president just the act of painting it. So to make a two dimensional painting of that moved someone into painting with paint over that painting and covering it up in a protest action, right? How interesting is that? That just the act of painting something can move someone else to again take up the medium of paint and paint over it in an action of resistance. And then this also brings to mind the burnings of, of, of artwork works at UCT that happened a few years ago, and how art can definitely say a lot about what is what is happening in our present and what is current, and it can really bring out the controversies and the things that we don't want to really speak about. And then when it does that, it has the ability to move people into action. So when we spoke about Benicia Opus' and we considered that she's actually a white um, female painter that painted during apartheid and she portrayed the people that were excluded or um, not included into the main narrative and she brought them to the foreground by painting these very elaborate paintings, very glorious of cakes and, and food and very dramatic and almost um, extravagant and wasteful and she did this and she brought the female body into this as well to bring to the foreground the people that were being suppressed and being ignored so that's also a way that the art can really depict what is so so powerful and then move people into action
1: yeah and i'm thinking once again also of when you when you mentioned the resistance art even with Rhodes was for when um the one artist as a as a performance art took his own thesis and threw it um uh, was it his own thesis now I'm, I stand corrected um, but it was a powerful political statement and a lot of people yes. were literally so disgusted by it that they were angry and it, they were moved to action by kind of protesting and dismissing the movement and once you actually you read the, art, the artist's statement and understood the symbolism and how it spoke about class differences and I think the sewage removal and broader themes it, it once again showed how art confronts these realities. And I think if I think of a, a philosopher or I spoke a bit in the airing at part about what happened post the Second World War with the existential philosophers, but confronting these existential realities is another way in which philosophy and art can mediate our prox- proximity to these vulnerabilities. And I think specifically about dealing with matters such as death and grief, that is also mm-hmm. at the forefront now with COVID-19. We are confronted with the fact that that people die, and,
0: exter- exter- and that everything. we are going to die,
1: and that yes, and and what is so interesting, and I in the beginning of the pandemic, my um, my dad gave me a little bit of pandemic reading, and one of it was Albert Camus' The Plague, which was published in nineteen forty-seven. So you can see the the post-war timeline there um, and there's lots of videos and um, things explaining this novel so I don't want to go into it but it is basically a small village in France um, and this this rat plague comes and it also deals with how people are the type of denial and then how it progresses but some of the philosophical insights that comes from this piece of literature is what Camus, what, uh, what Camus is trying to say is that we are already living in a plague in the sense that we are always susceptible to sudden death. It's not like being alive is always for, for Camus, at least an emergency in itself. And now with something like a pandemic or a plague, it's interesting how now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, death becomes this emergency that is actually just something that is lost. In our everyday life. So, for Camus, or well, he would say that plague or no plague, there's always the plague um, type kind of haunting us. And it's only our daily habits that distract us from the fact that we are immortal, that we are oh, almost immortal, that we are mortal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we sometimes choose to ignore also our proximity or closeness, closeness to, to death. And this is something that the pandemic. Reminds us of, and um, something that I notice is this language that we use in terms of overcoming the, the pandemic um, in America. Mm. Trump, you see this kind of war against the virus, yes. and this is so mm. dangerous because no one is immune to vulnerability, and we know that people are. Some people are way more exposed to death and violence on a daily basis, mm. um, especially in third world countries, and to talk about this war on the virus in a way i think re-establishes also a war on our vulnerability our primary vulnerability where yeah. we face death and this is another example just of how literature and abstract thought through narrative can help us to understand the trouble in the language that we use when we try to mask
0: these horrors Definitely. And, and I think what you're speaking about now in terms of art and philosophy is that in, ex, in looking at art, for example, um, especially like modern and conceptual art where you go into like different sensory experiences and video art and you have sound pieces and you have temperature change in rooms and you have light art and you have like all of this different modes of making art that actually creates this multi-sensory experience of art often. And um, it, it makes things real, right? So with Penny's Opus the series, as soon as you come close and you see what it's about, all these little instances of sexual violence and abuse start becoming real. They start becoming stories of real people, things that are happening in that moment. And um, in a way, this is the art, like in the way that the artist curates the exhibition. This kind of pause that art invites is something that I want to mention. So there's this distance in museum theory. We we studied this where you realize when people view art, there's always this kind of distance and then there's a pause. There's an amount of of minutes or seconds that you consider a piece of art and you move on. And wherever this behavior was learned on, there's a pause that we invite into viewing art that we don't often do with the rest of our world. So now the artist is able to play with this pause. So you might walk into a room and stand in a room that you thought you were going to view something. And in the next moment, the room starts filling with water and your feet are soaking wet you know so there's ways to to play with this so when you're walking into the room with the shame series is exhibited and you see these seductive colors from afar and it's only when you very come very close and the shock kicks in that you start realizing that now that you've seen this exhibition it says something real um, and, the, and the silence and the light kind of, of the exhibition space make this important. So you have to consider it, you have to look at it, you you have to regard it as something that is real in that time. And and it brings the reality closer of others. So what you just said about the plague and, and about the different experiences of, of this, the virus at the moment in South Africa, is that art and philosophy and in considering these with that pause that is given when it makes things real is it brings other people's experiences closer to us and we can actually acknowledge that there's more than one way of experience seeing the vulnerabilities around living and that is also it's not just and what what brings the
1: discussion of proximity and, and the philosopher Judith Butler also talks about this. By bringing these things closer, whether it be through art or for philosophy, it's also a call to action. It's a call to respond mm. because it's something yes. that's confronted with the horror and for it to become part of in your periphery all of a sudden. Um, Definitely. But it's something else then to start asking ethical questions of can I respond or how do I respond? And to who are we yes. motivated to respond? Is it only to those close and near to us or do, does it transcend the kind of borders and boundaries of belonging? So
0: yeah. And I think, I think this, this is interesting because what happens when you're viewing art is, and I also believe this, is that the the, the artwork looks back at you, you know, the object stares back and this kind of relates to abject theory. When you go more into it, it becomes that part of object theory becomes very interesting when viewing art is that the object, the, what you are looking at, is actually in the moment of looking, saying something about you. Because it's the moment where the material world is to, turned into language and where it's it, things are becoming real through looking at art. So uh, uh, an example of this can be experienced in um, Marina Abramovic's work titled. Ty- the artist is present, where being looked at by the artist, looking at the artist, being the artwork that is looked at in the audience, in the gallery, all of that becomes the subject of the actual art piece when um, Abramovic looked at, say, she invited people to sit down and look at her. But then obviously in that moment of looking and in the video piece, it's very evident. As soon as the person sits down to be looked at by her, something happens to them. They realise, oh my goodness! I'm actually I didn't just volunteer to look at her. I volunteered myself to be looked at, and and in Abramovic's yeah, and in Abramovic's other um, piece that always excites me so much, it's called Rhythm One, where she put out a lot of objects on a table, different kinds of objects like a rose and a scissor and a gun, but she had a lot of different kinds of objects, and she scattered them on the table and invited people to do whatever to her body she was standing in the room with these objects to do whatever she wanted they wanted with her body and of course a lot of hectic things happened in that moment because it was a gun involved if i'm not mistaken yes yes there was a gun involved because someone just like initially like stroked her with some of the objects and like then Someone else came up after a time and used the scissor to cut off her dress so her body became exposed. And then someone used the thorns to scratch her flesh, the thorns of the rose. And then when someone picked up the gun and pointed the gun at her, the museum curator actually interfered um, and, and stopped the, the piece. So when you are looking at these pieces, again with this shame series of, of um, Penny, bringing it back to that one now you've seen these instances you understand what they're talking about you've read the statistics in in the artist statement and understand what they're saying about the realities in south africa and about the statistics of of abuse in south africa and then the question becomes are you just going to walk away now and drink a coffee at the museum cafe or what are you going to do you know so Again, art is very uncomfortable often because in the moment when you realize that this object is staying back at you and then in this moment of looking and understanding what reality it's speaking to, it's asking a question of you. It's asking, well, what are you going to do with this information? So with, who, who are in crisis, again, with COVID-19? When we're looking at art around this and we're thinking around this, there's a kind of responsibility or an obligation to act when these things are made real through art and philosophy.
1: So in other words, these art interventions or modes of philosophical or abstract thinking prompt us to really interrupt our perceived notions of what and who we are in proximity to and type of alter it. And as Nicolene said, there's a, there's a sense of responsiveness to it. And what I think ultimately makes art and philosophy in a time of crisis so valuable is not just what it says about the time or the crisis, but the fact that it poses the question, who are we in this crisis?
0: As illustrated in the discussion that we just had in the previous segment of our podcast, it becomes really clear that art and philosophy are quite important disciplines that can help us in times of juncture, in history. We saw, and we also saw that in times of crisis, it can help move people to action and create a platform for relatability. So. I just want to mention again that in South Africa, we have a very rich history of resistance art. And there's actually a lot that you can go read up on. Penny Siopis is just one of the artists that worked during that time. But it is a little bit ridiculous, don't you think, Yana, that we need to ask the question about whether art and philosophy is relevant considering this rich history?
1: Yes, and I think also a lot of people say like, make the argument that in a third world country, art and history are kind of not not accessible enough or that it's too abstract in countries where poverty lingers or something like that. But I think what our South African history, especially our rich history of art, shows us is that these concepts are actually very prominent in third world countries as well. And something that I can think of in In terms of philosophy is the the whole notion of the african renaissance that was pioneered by Tabumbeki. mbeki and it it drawed on this idea of post-conflict post-colonial post-apartheid as a nation how can we embrace african ideas by african people so really tapping into this type of indigenous knowledge and ubuntu is is only one example but it's a powerful example of a, a actual philosophical concept of theory that's used. People talk about Ubuntu ethics Mm -hmm. um, or African communitarianism. And these concepts are deeply rooted oral traditions of philosophy that we find on the African continent. So that's just one other example of how we already have all these indigenous resources that we are able to tap into in times of crisis that can really speak to our specific context. And just in that point to jump off of that, is also to see that in these types of crisis, specifically in our South African context, we are reminded that, I mean, we spoke earlier in the podcast about proximity and bringing uh, things that's far closer, and we spoke about the abject and all these things, but another point just to maybe echo here is that, We are reminded of our differential allocation of precarity, as Judith Butler would say. So we are all vulnerable when we think about death and grief that is now particularly relevant in in times of COVID-19. And as we've seen with philosophy, these are questions that are actually there all the time. And um, by being able to, to recognize that people are grieved differentially, the way that the type of person that we have in mind that are almost worthy of a certain statistics, how we mourn, we don't mourn certain rates of gang violence every day in the same way that we mourn the coronavirus cases. And there's a lot of complexity to that point, but I just think it's it's important to remind ourselves that it's not just, we are not just universal subjects, essentialized subjects, but rather there's a lot of particularity and complexity Complexity and art and philosophy can help us navigate those complexities to be more tactful in the ways that we
0: speak in times of crisis. That's so interesting. And I think another point relating to this idea of of why should art and philosophy be regarded as important in a third world country, country in the context of Corona is also that we can't really split um the way that we think about creativity and the way that we think about innovation and imagining the future like so if we are in this very 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 stressful time art and philosophy can actually help us imagine how we can build a society that actually allows for more people like you say to have grievable lives for more people to be acknowledged as important and to be included in society and so if we then look to art to show us where people are being left out and to talk about these uncomfortable issues then it can actually also point us into a direction of how can we improve in the future and how can we think through idea structures and understand that the way that we are living now isn't set into stone it can be changed it can be also thrown up in the air spun around like we said earlier and looked at from different angles so that we can really have a creative approach to how we imagine a living together and and sharing this wonderful country that we have And with that, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. The first episode where we unpacked a a visual um, example of a cultural text. And we're going to be doing this with quite a few other kinds of texts. So we might not be talking about art every single time, but we hope you will join us again. Thank you so much. We
1: had so much fun researching the content for this podcast and it was really a powerful way for us also work through our own thoughts and process our feelings in this time so we thank you for joining us on this platform and we hope it can do the same for you
0: just a few more things before we sign off we are so grateful that you listened to the public airing of our thoughts if you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet please do so rate and review us if you enjoy our content this way you help us by making it easier for other listeners to find us. As always, we would love to hear what you think about the concepts, theories, texts and practices discussed in this podcast. So please reach out to us either through Instagram at Erit through our Eret Podcast Facebook page or via email at erretpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find all these
1: links in the show notes below. If you would like to get a short email from us sharing resources, related content and any other fun stuff that we don't share in the podcast, please go to our website at nbcollective.space
0: forward slash air hyphen it and subscribe. If you are interested in supporting this project, you can also do so at nbcollective.space forward slash air hyphen it. And remember, just like laundry, sometimes putting those stuffy ideas out in the air can help freshen them out. Until next time, stay stimulated.